0: Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: Brendan Escott, Cam Moon with you today. And actually, through the next couple of weeks, Bob will be back on Friday, September 1st. But until then, we are hanging out and, and boy, we're, uh, we're trudging through the dog days. But we're having a lot of fun, actually. This text line topic is absolutely scalding hot. I want to know, because I've given you the camera. You are the director. What sports documentary, what story are you telling? Let us know at 780-496-0063. We've had a lot of great engagement. Steve says, we need a show on the Olympics in 98. Why wasn't Gretzky in the shootouts? Just joking with Cam. I picture Mark Crawford sitting in an interrogation room. The light pointed at his face. Mark, what are you thinking? And then just like overlaid by the video of Gretzky just sitting there with his head hung. How about the Dallas Oilers series from the late 90s, early 2000s? Well, there were some great series there. Yeah. Yes. Hard fought. Andy S. saying... Ooh, he wants one on the development of McDavid and Dreisaitl. How these two superstars came together to produce magic like Batman and Robin, says Andy S. All right, second hour of Oilers now brought to you uh, by World of Spas. Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer, the ideal place to start your daily vacation. Uh, next week we will connect with George LaRock for a friends at Contract Equipment, Canada's premium heavy equipment dealer with rentals and sales. Still called in the heavies, though. Oh, we're still talking tough guy. And we're doing so with Al May this time around, who joins us on the River Creek Resort Casino hotline. Al, appreciate you sparing some time here in the summer. How's it going today?
0: Uh, Thanks, it's going well. Uh, Just getting fried out here in Texas. It's uh, 114 degrees, it says on my truck right now. So it's a hot one. And you know what? The documentary I'm happy I would never have to worry about or write or be a part of would be me fighting George LaRock because he is one (laughs) of the all-time toughest NHL players and uh, I was happy my career ended when I did because I'm sure he would have had to tap me on the shoulder at a face-off somewhere along the road
1: now Al George is someone to me I mean he he understands obviously the code he's been there he's he did it in junior and then when you talk to him he's got such a thorough understanding of like not only that but so much else I mean he he can you could talk to him about politics you know he was ran running for the Green Party that sort of thing so uh, George in and of itself could be the the subject of a documentary I think
0: yeah, he's definitely a very interesting guy. He seems like he's all over the place all the time. But, uh, yeah, he I, you know what? I always love and listening to uh, him when he's been on the show here. Now that I fi- I found Oilers now on the podcast, I go back and
1: I listen to as many as I can. Right on. Happy to hear that. Uh, any story that, you know, is there something that you saw maybe behind the scenes, Al, that, uh, that when I present this to you or, or even like in your time working as a color analyst, for example, there's got to be something that you, I guess when you're working as closely with Oilers, Ovi, that might be a good place to start. What uh, what documentary idea would you pitch to a company?
0: You know, the, one of the biggest things I see, and, and it has to do it really with the internet and then social media, is you know how they've gone after players and dis- determined someone from the outside what and who a player is and, and what he cares about and what he doesn't care about. And you know, the play, players will sidle up to certain reporters or you know, I, I guess. Everyone's a reporter now, whether you're mainstream media or social media. But, you know, there's a lot of things that I've seen with Ovechkin over his time where he was getting hacked on and none of it was true. And people like to run with that. And I look at a guy like Phil Kessel, and, you know, they, they just murdered him when he was in Toronto. And you find out from the guys in Toronto, they absolutely loved him. The guy was a legend in the dressing room. He goes to Pittsburgh. They, they they couldn't they couldn't laugh more on a daily basis and I know two years in a row he crushed the Capitals uh, in, in the playoffs he's a multiple Stanley Cup champ and uh, he sounds like he's one of the funniest best guys to be around and I, I just think you go back and examine you know what players are and, and you know who it is in the dressing room who the guys really like who makes them laugh the most I know for a fact that in Washington Ovechkin is the funniest guy in the dressing room and he allows the guys to pick on him I know Sidney Crosby's the same way and everyone thinks that Crosby's a certain way that he's serious all the time and he knows when to, you know add levity to the room and he'll bring up the story about himself and the guys will go after him and they pick on him and he laughs harder than anyone
2: and I know in Washington Ovechkin's the same way Al, when you were playing in the NHL, who were some of those guys that, that had the, the good comedy, the, the sharp wit, whatever it was to keep the guys loose? My guess is you were probably in that mix, but you're not <laughs> going to tell us that. Who else was there?
0: Uh, well, after a couple of guys left in Washington, I was kind of, I was left, but I had Al, I, Al Afraidy with me, but we had two young guys when I first got there, and they were draft picks, uh, a Bill Holder and a Ivan Corovo, and they were two of the funniest guys ever, and they could tell the same stories every day, and it never got old. And if the room was quiet, one of these guys would say something to the other, and it, it happens all over the league. In Dallas, we had a sneaky, funny guy in Paul Broughton, and just the way he walked, uh, just the sound of his voice made me laugh. And the sarcastic comments when the coaches may say something and he, he had, he'd squawk about something, and you couldn't, you try to keep from laughing. Next thing you know, you're belly laughing and you're in a doghouse with him. But just all around and everywhere I've been at every level, there's always guys that no one knows. And it usually has to do everything they do is funny. You just look at them and you start to laugh. And, you know, that's the part you miss the most when it's done is that camaraderie in the room and the belly laughs. I don't think you're allowed to belly laugh at the same type of things in everyday life and normal job. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, you're in the the safety and sanctitude of the uh, the four walls of your dressing room. There, Al, that that sounds like it's pretty vital for a team to have that element there, where, where there's somebody that we can turn to to take a load off, to to keep things light when when there's a need be. You think of an instance where maybe you didn't have that and you needed it, or can you speak to how vital that really is?
0: You know, I played on a team near the end of my career that had none of it in the dressing room. And, you know, I think the life had been sucked out by the negativity of the coach. And when that happens and and guys are so unhappy, they're not themselves every day when they go into the room. And I think it's important that the coaches leave the players to the room. They can't bring a black cloud with them every day. And if they do, the, te- the teams don't win in spite of those guys. And if, if, if they feel like the coach is against them, the coaches, you know, it's, it's just negative all the time. And no matter what, he's just waiting, pounce on mistakes. I think it just begets more mistakes, and and it just creates an unhappiness. And all players are at their best when they're just free. And usually what happens, you go into the playoffs and you have a team, and they know what their coach stands for. He understands the team that he has. He can still push buttons. He can still be a little negative, but he can't be it all day long. He's got to point out the positive things. And, you know, we, we hear the media just go after coaches after they get fired, and we've seen some Stanley Cup coaches that get fired, and everyone says they're old school, but then those players have a hard time playing for anyone else, guys that aren't so emotionally invested. So you got to be careful what you ask for a lot of times because it it can come back to haunt you. And you know, I know the guys that played for John Tortorella, absolutely loved him, but the media persona is not too not too good. He's been a short term member of the media. And, uh, you know, the guys who work with him, they can't believe what a good guy he is. I played for him. Uh, He was an assistant coach when I was in the American Hockey League. And I absolutely love the guy. And I know the players that played for him in the NHL loved him. And it's funny, though, he, he creates a lot of controversy for himself by getting into it with the members of the media. But then again, I can't blame him because in the old days, I guess the old days are when I played, coaches didn't have to deal with the media every single practice all the time and you know they could go for a few beers in the hotel on the road in the hotel bar uh, they might you know grab a pint in the dressing room uh, with the coaches and it
2: wasn't such an adversarial relationship yeah much different now but what what you speak of is it's important alan as far as that leadership uh, from the coach and, and being a good manager of people and, I guess, leadership within a team where you have to have a, a Reggie Dunlop or a Crash Davis. Uh, on any team you've been a part of that was successful, how big was that to having that success?
0: Well, the biggest thing to me is when I, you know, like we were all, you know, the game used to end for everyone at 30. And if you want to go on the hockey DB and you look at all the old teams in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, There'd be a guy scoring 30 goals when he was 29, and the next year you go, wow, he got old when he turned 30 because he only had about seven goals, and the next year he's out of the league. They used to push guys out of the league based on their age. And you know, a lot of the older guys, when I first got in, I wondered why they're kind of miserable and <laughs> grumpy at times, it's because they knew they were getting close to 30. I go back the way I was made to feel when I, the day I turned 30 even. Uh, it, it was amazing. And I'd go back, and I'd give anything to look like that, to feel like that, Uh, but they just pushed on you so hard. It was bizarre, but getting back to what you asked me, I I think the biggest thing now is your older guys understand there's a role for them if they're great guys, if they are a Crash Davis, and we didn't have that so much before. Some guys are just great guys. I remember being around Ray Bork, and he he was always happy, always a good guy, brought his best performance, was a a guy that brought the team together. Mess was that way, but I was around Mess, I guess he was still pretty young and you know you just get around certain guys and if they can if they suck the life out of the dressing room the team's not going to have success because there's a trickle down effect and you get a lot of big name guys who have been in the league a long time and you wonder why they start bouncing so much a lot of them no one really says anything and then there's other guys who make the room fun and i go to bill garen what he was able to do in his career Uh, how much camaraderie he brought to his teams. He's the kind of guy you wanted in there. He wasn't necessarily a superstar. He was a very good player. But you want older players like that 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 bring the magic every day and that are funny. And and they allow the younger players to be funny. And they allow the younger players to be immature to a certain point and have fun. I guess not really immature, but you want to allow them to be themselves, to grow up, because you don't have all the answers when you're 18, 19, 20, 21. Heck, you never do your entire career, but you can't take the youth away from the younger players. You've got to let them grow up and you know realize mistakes along the way and as long as they they come serious to play every every game, don't change their personalities.
1: Al, well, I think that's why we're seeing Anaheim really overspend for the likes of Radko Gudis and Alex Kalarn, for example, as guys that aren't necessarily paid for their stats lines and what they contribute there. But Anaheim's got a pretty young group, and I think that they need a little rigidity in the dressing room, just based on my outside uh, observation. I would think that that's uh, almost exactly what you're, what you're talking about there in, in that sense.
0: Yeah, well, they've got a couple of kids there that need a slap upside the head every once in a while too. <laughs> That's and what I'm I guess saying. <laughs> not today. It's now. Now it's now it's a verbal. Now it's a verbal slap. But uh, Ratko Gudis, you mentioned him. That's one of the nicest guys in the game of hockey, and he he is such an axe murderer on the ice. He's just plain evil the way he plays the game. He wasn't allowed to play his game by the coaching staff. In Washington, you know he, he wasn't throwing all the big hits. They didn't want that part, and I couldn't figure it out. Uh, you get him back in Florida, and he was such an important part of that team. He's such a menacing player, and then you take him off the ice. He's a, he's a sweet guy. He's soft spoken. He's positive. Everyone and a lot of his teammates will say he's maybe the nicest guy they've ever met in their hockey career. So you never know what you're getting in some of these players. The way they play. Uh, than the way they are in the room. But he's definitely going to bring a lot of great leadership uh, to Anaheim. And at some point, that team's going to have to grow up with all those young players that they do have.
2: Al, the team that you cover, the the Washington Capitals, what uh, what, what do you foresee for them this season? Well, I think the biggest thing is
0: they've got to be healthy no matter what. They were just absolutely decimated last season. They were third in the league uh, with man's games lost due to injury, and they didn't have a lot of illness like they did the year before. They had a lot of injury, and they had so much out of the lineup at a time, up, upwards of $35, $40 million of, of star players. They need those players to be healthy, and I, I think the other ingredient they need, they need a team that's happy uh, with the coaching staff at all times, that there's, there's not always one or two or three scapegoats, and you know, you, you've got to be – everyone's got to pull in the same rope, I think. Uh, rope, But I think with this group now, with such a young coaching staff that they've got in the two main guys and Carberry and Mitch Love, uh, they've got a great penalty-killing guy there that's been a hockey lifer and Scott Allen, and then they bring in a, a lighthearted, a good guy with a lot of experience, and Kirk Muller. Uh, I think the biggest thing every day is keeping that room happy and getting the guys to buy in. Everything has to be overhauled system-wise. What they were playing was not good for an older team, and kind of a slower team, with the amount of injuries they had. So all of that has to mesh together. I look at them. If everything goes right, they're a wild-card team. Uh, if if they get injuries, and things aren't definitely aren't going to go right if they're going to end up with a lot of injuries like they did last year. The goaltending was the strength of the team. Uh, the system, by the end of the year, the goaltenders were – were worn out from the system that they were playing it wasn't very physical it had a a lot of holes on it when they didn't have the puck it was kind of a stand around system that, that put them in a lot of chasing situations so all of that has to change so i'd expect them to be very enthusiastic to start the season and with the coaching staff if they can implement their systems to get the changes in and Hopefully, please change the power play because I'm tired of looking at the same power play. Uh, And I'm sure every team in the league loves looking at that power play because it hasn't changed a whole lot. Uh, And if there's some power play changes, that thing could go back to wicked once again
1: couple more questions for Al May here, joining us in, in the dog days of summer. We've got the Minto Cup going on here, Al. The uh, Junior A Lacrosse Championship taking place at the Bill Hunter all week long. And it got me thinking about multi-sport athletes and, and just, you know, how important I still think it is for, for kids not to stick to just hockey all year long. I mean, there's something to be said for the, uh, what can be gained, I suppose, from experiencing different sports. Were you a multi-sport athlete? Did you see anybody when you played to, was a real quality multi-sport athlete?
0: I think every one of us were back back before yeah. because you had you know you had smaller seasons. They felt like they were longer when you were a kid, but I played every single sport, and and I had to quit when I started playing junior hockey, and especially I had to quit because of lacrosse. I had to quit, and that was the, the sport that I quit last prior to, to playing because when I would leave to play junior, that's when the junior A playoffs were going on and all the Canadian nationals. So I wasn't able to play, but you look at, you know, everyone, we, I played with all the same guys on baseball teams, soccer teams, uh, heck even football for a while. And, you know, I didn't play any of that. the school sports after a while. I never played basketball or a- anything in the school system. That was, a, you know, it was just too different and too hard with our schedules, but I felt like everyone played. And then a lot of players that, uh, that I played with that were pretty good hockey players, they were just, they were kind of sick of it. They were sick of the grind and they'd play the other sports. And they'd regret it because most of them were a dead end as far as, you know, carrying on and and doing anything else with it. But uh, we don't see it anymore. Uh, Good luck if you can find a kid that's able to play, you know, multiple sports after the sixth grade. Because it just seems like you get pulled into you've got to have a coach for this. You've got to have a coach for that. Uh, I guess I would have loved having all those different coaches when I was younger. But i thought i was a pretty good athlete and pretty you know a multi-sport athlete and and it translated into me being a professional hockey player for quite a long time but uh, we don't see it anymore and i I feel for the kids not being able to get into all the different sports and certainly in the states i'd love to see the, the hockey arenas closed down in the summer and the kids get to play box lacrosse because that's one of the funnest sports there is
2: would that have been your favorite sport outside of hockey then
0: you know what? Hockey and baseball. I had yeah. some really good soccer teams growing up, but uh, I what I really liked. I call it the Rainman sport uh, when you played lacrosse because you know in basketball. You you shoot a basket at the playground or wherever you're at the gymnasium. You always got to go fetch your ball, but when you start to practice lacrosse by yourself, you need a wall, brick wall typically at a school. And, you know, after a few hours, the ball should come back to you every time. That's just the first few hours. And, and I would go out every single day and practice by myself. And I had a miraculous first year to my second year and the, the quality of my play and what I was able to do. But I really like lacrosse because it was a sport that you could practice all by yourself. And it, you, you could get really improve your stick skills just by going to the school and practicing solo. And it's it, it just one of those things, a, a great conditioning sport especially the box lacrosse, because there's, there's sprinting involved, not like, you know, uh, you know, the field lacrosse is completely different. So I, I love playing that sport. I missed it, and uh, it, it was a great sport to even up with the big guys because I was never really that big of a kid. So it, it was funny what you could do with the stick and the ball back then.
1: Yep. <laughs> I think times have changed in that regard, Al. It's still a great sport to watch. Really appreciate you lo- loaning us some time here on this uh, summer day, the hot summer day down in Texas, all right? All right, we'll see you guys. Okay, thanks. thanks, Al. That's Al May uh, joining us, as he often does here on Oilers Now, where some guests receive gift cards to Japanese Village Edmonton's favorite teppanyaki steak restaurant. Book your celebration for the senses at jvedmonton.ca. Quick time out. Back in a minute on Oilers Now and Cam keeping you company for the next week and a half. Bob will be back next Friday after a well-earned couple of weeks of vacation here and a good time to take it because frankly, there's not a whole heck of a lot going on in the hockey world. We sit and await Evan Bouchard's contract resolution. Tick, tick, talk, talk. Uh, We'll see. I mean, I think everybody kind of has an idea what that figure is going to look like. The sides are just hashing out right now between I mean, it can't be more than $100,000. I think that they're apart at this point. But that's a guess. I don't have the inside track on that that at all. What I do know with 100% certainty, I can tell you this. Cars cost less at Wataskawan. And Brent Ridge Ford and Wataskawan, well known for their top shelf service department. They don't uh, forget about you after you've purchased a vehicle. They, they've got the upkeep going on as well. Call Uncle Miltz, Rich, Johnny. Let the team at Brent Ridge Ford make you a repeat customer. 780 352 6048. Your Ford Truck Authority on the Auto Mile in All right, 780-496-0063 should have some time to weave in a couple more of your sports documentary ideas. Want to know what story you'd like to see covered if you were going to put out the next 30 for 30 or untold or whatever it is. Pretend you've been hired by a doc crew. Let us know what you want to see produced and we'll let you know everything you may have missed about the Ottawa Senators this offseason. Play-by-play man on TSN 1200, Dean Brown going to join us after Randy brings you the global news headlines.